Hey guys, and welcome to Layer Inspired, powered by Icon Plus and sponsored by Cake Wallet. Great to have all of you here. So since this is powered by Icon Plus, we're gonna do a really quick Icon news announcement. So very exciting, physical IDs may become a thing of the past in South Korea as the Icon Network this month are launching the first government-backed blockchain-based ID called My ID. so very exciting. So without further ado, we have a very good friend of mine, somebody who has been super generous and super helpful to me in the space, and somebody who's buying a ridiculous amount of Bitcoin every single week. If you haven't guessed, we are joined with Jason Williams. Jason, how are you doing today? What's going on, Leia? It's good to have you. How are you doing? It's good to be here. Look, I'll, I'll tell you, the production quality of what I just saw uh, was, uh, it put going parabolic to shame. So we, we've got we've got to step up our game, obviously, because this-, this I love is, this. Yeah, ni nice job, nice job. Thank you, thank you. Speaking of, I think I've actually forgotten to hit a light on, so let me just hit this on. Is that better? Is that, do you think that looks even more professional? I'm telling you, it, you couldn't do anything more <laughs> at this point. You couldn't do anything uh, more. You gotta check out. So, so I, I know that one of your stipulations uh, for me coming on was I wasn't allowed to uh, bag on any shit coins. We're not using the word shit coin crap on this show. You just no. said, it. okay. Okay, crap, crap from here coins. onwards, no more. Crap coins. But you know, I, I was reading recently and you gotta check this out. There is a retainer that uh, in your mouth, it's a retainer, okay. an impression that's being used for biometric identification on computers now and to get into doors. So you gotta check this out. I was, it's a new technology. And it 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 reads the ruge at the top of your mouth, which are like a fingerprint. Yes. You put the retainer in, it opens doors, opens your computer, it identifies you biometrically. That I'm uncomfortable gonna, with that immediately. Really? Because I think it's gonna create a whole world of lispy protection. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's all this like lispy safety. Just right, consider, right. consider it. Uh, all I'm, right, I'm, 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 I'm gonna look it up. I'm, I'm thinking about investing, but we'll, we'll see. Speaking of investing, so you um, are buying a ridiculous amount of Bitcoin every single week. I think I've seen like hundreds of thousands. Um, that's insane. So for people that don't know you, firstly, who is Jason Williams and how the hell are you buying so much Bitcoin every single week? Yeah, so um, my background, super quick, healthcare, uh, was licensed as a physician assistant, got accepted to Yale. I ended up dropping out of Yale uh, to start a medical company called FastMed. Uh, I was probably 25. Built that into the nation's second largest urgent care and primary care pra private practice in the whole country. Um, I had 1,400 employees, about 400 doctors and PAs uh, working for me, 127 locations across the country. Took it through a number of private equity exits, the first in 2010. Another one in 2012, and then sold the whole company in 2015 for around 500 million bucks. So 500 million numbers <laughs> only people could dream of. Let's just like let's just not like be so uh, nonchalant about it. 500 million, right? Keep going. So so I went from being like a guy in a lab coat to an administrator in a suit and tie to what you see today, which is kind of my true self. It's uh, a relaxed person. I've been afforded a tremendous opportunity to manage our family money at this point. Uh, I'm also participating in managing other people's money with Morgan Creek Digital. We'll get into that probably. But yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing journey for a poor kid growing up in a single family in Queens, New York, 
immigrants, uh, immigrant family. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like the, uh, I would, I, I feel like a typical, a typical uh, Sequoia backed investment uh, immigrant um, founder. Interesting. Now, this is actually why I wanted you on the show, because for those that don't know, Jason and I, um, we have, I would say, um, the same kind of perspective, the same kind of like want for the world. So we both want to have a positive impact. We want to help people. But I believe in some ways we kind of have a different way of doing that. Right. So the reason I want to get you on is because, like you said, you came from a poor background. Um, you've mentioned to me a couple of times your dad wasn't necessarily present when you were growing up. And yet you've been able to become a billionaire, millionaire, what, uh, which is it? Uh, I'm probably, I mean, I'm probably worth 130 million. Okay, right. And that's all from a poor background, fatherless. Um, that is insane, right? And I think one of the biggest things that people keep talking about in society is how the issue is we're seeing a lack of fathers and that is creating bad behavior. You know, that's, you know, a lot of men that are in jail, a lot of times we often find that they're fatherless, they've had bad relationships with their fathers. So I want to understand how you were able to essentially pull yourself up from that kind of situation. Because what we talk about and see a lot now is that people sort of say, I've come from a crappy background. I've had a, I, you know, I haven't been born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I've come, you know, I'm a victim. I've had this, I've had that. I'm this, I'm that. Um, and yet you've been able to sort of overcome that. And for me, that just really fits in line with my ideologies, um, my belief in everything that I love. So talk to me about how you were able to raise yourself up basically. Yeah, so um, we'll start off on the probably exact same page that we both yeah. believe in high levels of personal accountability, right? Yeah. All right, um, and th and that's a good thing, and I, I I would say that's fundamental to this discussion. You know, from from what happened to me, you know, my mother uh, is Sicilian, and my father is from Manchester, England, but of Jamaican descent. Uh, his father owned a large farm in Manchester, Jamaica, if you can, Manchester, Paris, Jamaica. So a lot of Manchester. Wow, that's pretty Manchester, wild. Right? So you track, yeah, you sure. track that. So they met in New York. Um, I came into the picture. They got married and then got divorced. So my dad was out of the picture when I was first born. Um, and then my mother was a hairdresser and that, that was it. So she worked as a hairdresser and um, we... Uh, I grew up in a single family home. My mother uh, dated some people seriously. So I had some influence of, of some men in my life, but they weren't great. So I don't want to dive too much into the weeds here just to paint the perspective. Don't need to. She, she dated a, um, a police officer, a correctional officer from Rikers Island. Rikers Island uh, is a, uh, I would say like a high, high max or super max uh, very dangerous place in New York yeah. where criminals are capped. This guy was, um, he was kind of a bad guy, alcoholic, um, uh, and verbally abusive to my mom. So gosh, oh, yeah. You, you think about you're, you're already, and you know, and we'll go over some of the statistics. This is a super heavy discussion. Um, yeah. but, um, you know, you, you put a kid in an environment like that. You, you may say he's a bit disadvantaged because of the single family thing, my mother loved me very much. She was doing the best that she could. She kind of attracted some bad, uh, bad choices and partners. Yeah. So I was subjected to that. So you know, uh, I 
I grew up in a in an environment that was kind of hostile, super um, super unstable. And how did I transcend that? Exactly. I, well, Leah, I, I don't know. I'm sure that it's caused it's caused some issues, and because I, I can't imagine a child growing up in that environment and not coming out of it with, uh, you know, being molded um, differently than say, and I don't know your background, but I mean, what was your kind of experience growing up as a child? And then maybe I can synthesize a final thought on that. I mean, yeah, for sure. I'm happy to. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let, let's get deep. Um, but before I do, I just also want to thank, I think it's um, Ron Nilsson who, um, Told every, he, gave, he, like, he told everyone to come follow and everything. So that's super sweet. So thank you, Ron. Um, so for me, um, luckily enough, um, I am privileged in that I have parent privilege, which I think is one of the most powerful privileges there is. Um, so thank God um, I've been born with two fantastic parents that have always um, done their best, put me first, um, you know, and they've sort of sacrificed everything they needed to give me. Um, yep. What I will say is, um, because then I, I sort of, you know, it's sort of a bad thing these days to be privileged, right? To be born privileged, you should feel sort of some sort of guilt. Um, I, you know, and, and I think that's sort of hard to sort of get rid of. Um, but for me, what I will say, and I sort of tweeted a little bit about this recently, um, despite having such a great sort of background, I have my own personal struggles. So I, I suffered with three chronic illnesses before mm -hmm. the age of 20. Um, so that has impacted me in other ways. Um, but actually, I would say in positive ways because I learned how I needed to like, I'm gonna, uh, I shouldn't swear, but whatever. I, I said, you know, I've got to get my shit together and sort of really, um, like nobody is gonna get me better, but me. Um, you know, I went to a load of different doctors and this and that, and nobody was gonna help but me. So for me, that's where my sort of like power comes from. So a little bit different, but both a struggle, I would say. Yeah, no, look, that 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 is the common theme. Like from, from my perspective, all of that hardship, all of that yeah. um, struggle, going without economic instability, moving a bunch of times, being around other poor folks, growing up in that environment. I just learned what I didn't want to be, what I didn't want to do, what exactly. I didn't want to participate in, the kind of person I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be some hustler or, you know, I, it just, it, it just showed me everything, uh, that, um, that I didn't want to be. Now, here's the problem. When you don't have access to successful people, successful mentors, uh, people who, who can show you other options, you, you may have a desire for something more, but you don't know how to get there. And a lot of times the, the path is not as hard as you think. It's really, um, it's really just who you know and, um, and little course corrections and decisions. For me, um, I just wanted to become a doctor because I thought that was that would give me the education. It would um, lead me out of this kind of economically depressed situation I was in, and um, you know I, I just shot for that, Leah. Yeah, and I want to jump in because I've been speaking a lot recently to people about where motivation comes from, right? And that's the whole point of this podcast. And I think people often go through adversity. And in that adversity, they sort of get very upset and worn down and they play that sort of victim idea, victimhood mentality. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to use that adversity to say, actually, I don't want that. Use that as an opportunity, which is exactly what you did. You said, you know, you, um, I saw where I came from. I saw the lack of, you know, I saw yeah. that economic um, uncertainty and lack of stability. 
And yeah. you use that to say, actually, I don't want that. You were sort of shown what you don't want. Yeah, I mean, and, look, it, it could yeah, have, it. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know, when oh, you okay. see people abusing drugs, abusing alcohol, being verbally abusive, physical abuse, you can either participate in that, you know, you can have some predisposition, you can buy into the fact that um, because my dad's an alcoholic, I have to be an alcoholic, you know, or you can say, boy, there's a lot of alcoholism in my family. Maybe I shouldn't binge drink or participate in, in that behavior. Again, I tend to try to control the things that I can, you know, life yeah. is short and life moves very fast. And if you can try to control some of the variables, do it. You know, I, I was reading recently, and I think this may be interesting, the impact of divorce on kids. You know, again, I'm a product of a divorced, uh, of a divorced family. And I think in the United States, we have one of the largest populations of single parent, uh, of children under 18 being raised by single parents. I think next in line is the UK, actually. And oh really? So, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Right. This so is you, the West for you. So you you see it, um, and then Russia, then France, um, Ireland, and then when you get uh, to Asia, it's Japan and India has a very low uh, yeah. low percentage of of people uh, under 18 years of age raised by a single parent. Um, I think I think the way that we do divorce in the United States is equally as devastating as all the things that I've lifted up to you. So I've said, you know, physical abuse, uh, mental abuse, substance abuse, all of those verbal abuse. And then the divorce, I think, needs to be explored because the way attorneys use uh, divorce to extract any kind of economics from that family, pit the parents against each other. Yeah. And the child is is left as a victim is is cruel and it's wrong. Um, I ran into- Yeah, and I wanna- Yeah, go for it. I was just gonna say, I, I kind of wanna pick up on that because I think that's a major issue um, in Western society. And also when we talk about like the importance of fathers and so on, um, you often find that a lot of times, um, and I'm gonna call this female privilege, is that you know a woman can cheat on her husband? A woman can um, do all sorts of terrible things. Be an unfit mother. Actually, not an unfit mother, but she can cheat on her husband. Um, you go to court, and you often find that she gets half the money, she gets the house, and a lot of times he's just left. And you often find that really does sort of put men off marriage, um, which again isn't very good for Western society. But I want to focus more also just like on how you were able to pull yourself up out of the situation and what tips you would give to people who may feel, okay, you know, I come from a bad background. I don't know where to start. I don't have any mentors. People that really feel right now that they are in that sort of victimhood mentality, they're struggling to get out of it. What would you say as an absolute self-made millionaire? Um, don't say buy Bitcoin. But tell me what you would say to sort of help them pick themselves up. What tips would you get? Look, I can, I can identify it specifically. When I was 16 years old, I was bagging groceries at a grocery store called Publix. And I walked the groceries out to a woman's car. And the woman said to me, you look like a nice young man. What do you plan to do with your life? And I just threw out like, I'm going to become a doctor. And she said to me, one of the most impactful things uh, that probably changed the trajectory of my life. She said, what are you willing to do to become a doctor? And I, I stepped back a second and said, all right, 
I'm hanging out with a bunch of, uh, of people that are probably going to clean pools and become construction workers. And there's uh -huh. nothing wrong with that. There, no one's going to go to college that I'm hanging out with because they don't care about that. And I'm, and I'm pretending that I want to be a doctor. So let's get my stuff together. I didn't say the S word. And, and I went out and found a mentor. And it was a man called Randall Seeger. He was a urologist in Port St. Lucie, Florida. And he became my mentor from the time I was 16 until I graduated my undergrad. Uh, so every summer I spent with Dr. Seeger, shadowing him in the office, doing administrative stuff at first until he, uh, he really saw I was serious. He would bring me in the room with patients let me scrub into surgery with him and watch. I mean, I, I really came into it uh, during that. It was literally, I went out and found my mentor. I didn't wait for it to come to me. And I certainly didn't look around the house looking for guys. And you didn't wait the, for the government to give you a mentor. No, no, you no. Thought, no. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And what I think mentors are essential, right? Because if you can put somebody on a pedestal and sort of look up to them and sort of say, how are they navigating? How are they doing things? What did they do? I think that's really helpful. And I think that's something which for me personally, I sort of need to do maybe a little bit better. But I was watching, um, I think maybe it was Seth Godin. Um, I don't know if you know Seth Godin. So he's just an absolute genius. And I was watching something that he said. And he said, people don't understand about mentors, right? You think that you need a physical mentor. So this is for people who are like, okay, maybe I need a mentor, but how do I get one? You actually don't need a physical mentor to be there. You don't need to know them personally. But what you can do is see somebody online and watch what they do from a distance, see how they navigate, understand how they um, sort of go through life. And also you can look at their history, what they've done. It's so simple to have that mentor from a distance because I appreciate, you know, some, you know, maybe you're busy and, and I know we spoke earlier and you said you're, you're crazy busy. So you're not going to want to mentor everybody, not everybody. So, so I think it's so important to be able to look at people from afar that you admire and see what the hell they do. Copy them. It's so simple. That's right. And, and Dr. Seeger was like the epitome of health. He tried to have a good family. He ran his business. He read uh, passionately. He was, yeah. he was a great communicator. He was a leader in his space. You know, he had the trophies. He had the things that I saw as important um, and things I wanted in my own life. So I, I got the roadmap. It, it wasn't hard. It just took discipline. And um, I was already hungry, Leia. So uh, from there, there you go. That, that was easy. You know, it was just like, go at it with reckless abandon. Try to do the right thing. I'm not perfect. Um, I made lots of mistakes along the way. And, um, and then don't let all that baggage hold you back. Like I don't sit here today in any way and feel sad that I have just my mom or maybe not a great relationship with this person or, you know, uh, they had all this physical and social, whatever things going on. I, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if anything, it's like these, these cornerstones to the foundation that make me who I am. Yeah, it's true. And you just have to open up your mind, right? And understand that anything is actually possible. And I think you make a really interesting point because you are hungry. And I think that's often, um, we kind of touched on this, where the motivation comes from. It's sort of when you see a glimpse of maybe what you want, or you've seen a huge um, sort of window into what you don't want. And that's where it comes from. 
But I, I, I want to talk about where the government has a part to play in this, because I believe that's where you and I tend to differ. Um, so I look at you as somebody that is totally self-made, the self-made billionaire that comes from a difficult background. Um, where, so, so whereas you would, so, so I, I would sort of encourage people to do more of that, whereas you would sort of say the government needs to sort of step in more. Well, um, you know, this is a tough, this is a tough situation. Um, I think that social programs are important um, and can be a, a kind of a, a jump start to some of the things that we're discussing today. Because I, I don't want to, to say that in any way that I'm self-made. Like, I am self-driven, right? I define who I am. But the community around me and these mentors, because beyond Dr. Seeger, like I can go through this progression because once I found like the mentor I needed at that time, that's not the mentor I needed the next stage of my life, yes. right? Yeah. It went Dr. Seeger from 16 to 20. And then from 20 on was this man, Mike Safley. And then from 26 to about 30 was another physician, Robert Ferguson. And then beyond that was a PhD psychologist named Richard Lazar. And these men in my life helped me progress and think about things the way I do and have shared their life experience with me. And they were so different. Dr. Lazar worked for Bill Clinton, he was Jewish, his kids, uh, his kids were in Israel. He shared with me wonderful lessons that were so different than growing up in a Catholic family with a Sicilian mother. Yeah. Um, and anyway, it, it was all important. So you've got to be on the hunt all the time yes, for, the, but for the right mentor at the right time. It was a community. Yeah, agreed. And I think community is so important. And even let's just keep, like talk about this on a really small scale. Yep. Even for me on crypto in crypto Twitter, let's just say, right? I've managed to find some really fantastic people, including yourself, that have you know shown me so much kindness and so much support and so much help. And you know, absolutely appreciate that, right? But that's about me being an individual and putting myself forward. Um, number one, being driven, putting myself forward. And number three, um, being a nice enough and approachable person to speak to you, speak to other people that have been super helpful, right? And that is on me. Now, that is more than the government could ever do, right? So what I'm trying to what I'm trying to differentiate here is people often just sort of, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, sort of sit on their ass and sort of expect for it to come to them. The government owes me more, they owe me this, they owe me that, I can't do this because of this, or yeah. I need that, or I whatever. But I think it's not it's not essentially the case. Number one, in my opinion, which is just my opinion, I don't think the government owes you anything. Um, but I think that you make more of an impact than the government could ever do for you, right? So everything that I've done and everything that you have done is because you were driven. You saw, okay, shit, I had that that sort of light bulb moment when you were when you met that woman. She's, you know, you're doing grocery. She said, you yeah. said, yeah, I want to be a doctor. You had your mentors. You had, you know, this is all you. And you were able to do it. Well, what did the government do for you? Well, the government gave me loans to go to college. The, you know, I got Pell Grants, Stafford loans, scholarships. There was no way I could have paid for college. Beyond that, when I interviewed at Yale, they said no one is denied admission to Yale because they can't afford it. Because that was the question I had. Like, I, I was accepted. Uh, but during my um, during that interview process, I said, look, I, I definitely don't have the money to go here. 
you know, I, I definitely don't, you know, my master's degree from university of Nebraska, same thing. So, um, what about sponsorships? What, what, what is your opinion on sponsorships? Because you're obviously very intelligent. I'm sure you could have got a sponsorship. Now, in the United States, um, it, it maybe defines something different. Scholarships yeah, and sponsorships are different. Tell me what a sponsorship is. So, oh, no, I would call it a scholarship. Sorry, apologies. Yeah, call it a, no, I, I, think, I think scholarships are super important. Again, I could not have gone to school without scholarships, uh, loans, uh, Pell Grant, Stafford loans, all of that. No way it would have worked for me. There was just no way. College is super expensive. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, I was going to uh, make one other point because um, I, I wanted to talk about um, this, uh, the um, divorce thing R real quick. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think no, please important. go for it. No, 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 go for it. Because there was a, I like to kind of caveat these perspectives with books. So if, if your people are out there and they get a chance, you got to read The Cure for Divorce Culture by Ashley Nicole Russell. I read it recently and I thought it was really cool. She's she's an attorney that practices something called collaborative divorce. So they kind of like end it like breaking up a business versus okay. versus destroying each other. It's uh it's done by like arbitration. So I, I'm I'm interested in that. And I think it's a uh it's it's kind of a European thing. You know, I, I see a lot, yeah, I see a lot of people breaking up um like conscious decoupling. I don't know if you've heard that term. I've heard, heard of decoupling in, in the crypto and financial yeah. world and not heard of it in relationships. Yeah, conscious decoupling. So anyway, just uh, just check out that book. But um, yeah, the I, I I'm interested to to really get at why why you're so opposed to um, government intervention. You know, the UK yeah. is completely wrecked. Like your GDP is trash right now. You know, I spend a lot of time talking about the unemployment here in the United States, you know, our current situation, um, coming out of COVID-19, but I think you guys are in like a worse situation than we are in the U S with unemployment, um, and support around that. Why don't you give yeah, me Yeah, I mean, yeah, that? absolutely. Yeah. So, so in, in the UK right now, I mean, I think we've sort of just said, apparently it came out on the news yesterday, we're going to the worst recession that we've ever seen. And this is for several different reasons, right? It's hugely due to coronavirus, right? We've had a lot of our, we've had a, a lot of things closing down businesses, um, going into liquidation and so on. So that's mainly due to the coronavirus. Um, what I would say with regards to um, why I'm so much anti-government intervention is because I have the mentality of freedom, right? So I'm a libertarian. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the government doesn't owe you anything because it, it just doesn't, right? Like the government, we've seen the government do terrible things over centuries. And my idea is why are we suddenly trusting the government now, right? And you often find that when you give a little, they take a mile. So let's take the coronavirus situation for a second. I believe that it's kind of concerning that we've actually been able to police and force people to stay at home, right? I think that is hugely concerning because once we do that, when do we not do that anymore? And you get, and then now, now, that's, now that's a situation, now we're forcing people to wear masks. Now I'm not gonna get into whether I believe masks work or not. It's not about that. It's about the forceful nature of it, okay? Mm. Because it's then like, where do we then draw that line? We are now having people talk about forcing people to take a vaccination, okay? This is forcing people to put a foreign substance into their body. For me personally, it's too much. I'm an individual and I 
am suspicious of the government and as I should be and as everybody should be. We've seen how they've behaved over decades, right? I mean, we've seen what happened in World War II. For me, you know, that's just unthinkable basically so for me i often find that you have to be incredibly suspicious and i think also a lot of the time you find that people rely too much on the government right it sort of it disincentivizes you to work hard when you have a social safety net sometimes it sort of it disincentivizes you to do that and i think a lot of government practices which we've spoken about let's talk about minimum wage for example actually have an adverse effect these socialist practices have adverse effects we've spoken about minimum wage before how it actually ostracizes the people that it's supposed to help the most i just find that the best thing to do as we've spoken about is community um we've spoken a lot about apprenticeships i think they're really important versus university um you know, what I would also love to see is private run businesses or sorry, private run charities, like, you know, you philanthropists doing what they've got to do, potentially helping people get those grants to university and so on. But you tend to have a very different opinion. Leah, let, let's talk about because I, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you said. I just think there are nuances and complexities around those points that, you know, you you should explore and be intellectually curious about. I mean, think about your NHS program. You have you have nationalized healthcare. And it's trash. It's no good. Apologies to any NHS workers. I think they do a great job, but right. it's run terribly. But it's free. Um, indirectly, uh, yes. Not indirectly, no. Well, I mean, you're taxed for it, right? But it's free. Indeed. And I still I, pay for it indirectly. Right. And I, I tend to agree with you that... Sorry, I'm going to jump in. Ace of Spades has just said nothing is free in life. And do you know what, Ace of Spades, you're right. And and I would say to you, in historically and in my opinion, the government is terrible at running businesses. Exactly. Right. So the NHS is taxed. You pay for it through taxes. But it's a free service. It's a social it's safety free. net. But it's a safety net. Because you can only pay taxes mm. if you make money. It's the same thing in the United States. So do you know what? Please let me jump in. Let me jump in. Please, you please. can go out and you can get trashed, right? You can drink. You can get so trashed to the point where you are throwing up on the streets. Yes. You need that free ambulance to come and save you, right? What a waste of our services. What a waste of their time. And when you find that things are free and you don't pay for it, you don't care about it. There are people that need, like, no, 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 no faces. <laughs> that's what happens. People are doing, that's a, not, you know, that's not the majority, doing, but that's not the majority of people that are using the NHS. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me tell you, it's a good waste of our time. Like, British culture, there's a lot of drugs and there's a lot of drinking, okay? That is huge here. Mm. And too many times do I know and have I seen ambulances having to come out and do that. Now, I lived in the States for three months and um, I met a girl and she's, and I, I was joking. I was like, oh my God, what if I drink too much? I'm underage, you know, what if I end up throwing up and the ambulance come and all this stuff? And she was like, the ambulance? No, that would never, it cost us thousands. And it's just that, right? Which switched something in my head. I was like, I need to be more careful because actually I could have to pay a lot of money and to, just to get fixed, right? And I'm telling you, you go on the streets on a night in, in around the UK, it is trash. There's drinking, there's people peeing on the streets, there's people throwing up on the streets, there's people paralytic. And that is because it doesn't matter. The free health service will come and save you. 
And interesting, because that was going to be my question. So you're saying that because it's free, or there isn't a charge there, there's a charge around the periphery, that people abuse the system. Absolutely. And I think people would, we would see less people getting trashed and throwing up on our streets if they actually had to pay for the ambulance to come get them. I'll tell you straight, like I've had some of my friends have been picked up in an ambulance when we were younger, when we were around like 17, 18, just for drinking too much at a party. Um, they wouldn't, and, and, and these girls don't have money and they would not be drinking so much if they had to pay for that ambulance. What a waste of a service. So Leah, do you think that, um, the world is moving toward nationalized healthcare or fee-for-service healthcare, private healthcare like we have in the United States? I think it's moving towards um, private healthcare. Do you? Do you think yeah. that they'll? You think that the NHS will be disbanded and it'll become a fee-for-service uh, project at some point? So I, I don't know the ins and outs, but I already know that that's a, it, it's being privatized and that's like a massive a massive issue that we have in the UK and you know the NHS was created I, I, I think it would be impossible like I, I find it like it would be nearly impossible to go back once you've so, once you've yes. created once you've created this social safety net it's like impossible yes. to move back in the other direction 100% unless something happens right like for example let's just take this whole coronavirus situation um it would be what we are you know getting everybody online is very difficult you know my dad only learned to use zoom um and skype bless him just because he had to right yep. and so I think we would have to have a situation like that whereby it forces you need a huge catalyst to make this happen whether it's some form of revolution somebody comes into power that everybody hates um you know you often find that when there's dictatorships, people go the absolute opposite way. So I, I think I think it would take time, and we would have to see, um, you know, what happens with that. Um, but something that we do tend to agree on is all of this relates to crypto, doesn't it? I, I think I think every thematic discussion uh, around all of this stuff um, is going to be eventually part of uh, this crypto world. Yeah, with, without a doubt. Okay, so, so, so tell us, oh my God, people are screaming about the NHS in the comments. Let's have a quick look. The NHS will never be privatized because we have a law directly stopping that at 49%. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a little tricky one right now. Yeah, like, um, and, and yeah, just, to, just to kind of put a stamp on that, I actually see all the work that politicians are doing here in the United States. They're trying their best to to move to a um, nationalized healthcare system here. Uh, I know you guys well, are. Yeah, they're yeah. Tr they're trying very, very hard. And I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I'll tell you this. If you do come to America with or without insurance and you drink or overdose on drugs, the ambulance is coming and you will get you will get brought to an and emergency. And I will have to pay for it. And you will have to pay for it. And so if you, you know don't, what that means? It and, means and I won't do it. If you don't, someone pays for it. It's the same thing. If you don't, it's still going to be paid for. What uh, would, so, so, what would happen if I don't pay for it? Who's who, how? How can I not? How can I get out of paying for that? How, do, how does somebody else pay? You, for that? you just don't pay. You default on the debt. You would default mm -hmm. on the debt. You'd take that on personally, whatever that looks like. But the price of the goods and services in the system will go up, and that's why we have eight dollar aspirin when you have surgery, right? We know that it's not this aspirin don't cost eight dollars, but it's just it's just. Right. The, the bucks being passed to those who can pay it, whether you have right. insurance, et cetera. I mean, right now in the United States, we have high deductible healthcare plans where you're being 
made, even though you're paying insurance every month, you're being made to bear the responsibility of most of your routine routine care, whether it's some acute illness, your chronic um, uh, or scheduled uh, appointments. Um, you, you pay for it because you have these deductibles that are tens of thousands of dollars. And that's what it comes down to, doesn't it? It's sort of like when that responsibility is taken off you, you behave badly. Um, and that's just sort of what happens. But like we said, this all sort of comes back down to crypto because it's all about taking that personal responsibility. So I wanna just talk a little bit about Bitcoin actually. So you're buying a ridiculous amount every single week. So firstly, you clearly, I know you obviously have surplus cash to put into it, but you, I feel like nobody in their right mind would put that much money into it if they didn't believe in it. So you think, firstly, why do you, firstly, why are you so bullish on Bitcoin? Why do you believe in it? Yeah, I mean, this goes back five years or so when you know I started on my crypto journey. Um, I'm very interested in infrastructure investing, so that's why I built FastMed. It was simply a infrastructure play on the gap between a primary care physician and an emergency department. There were no after hours walk-in options that were low cost and high quality, so I built that out. When crypto uh, was introduced to me, I was most interested in mining. Um, okay. And again, right? And so what year was this? This is like 2015, 2016. So nice, we, nice we, we plugged in GPU miners to a power plant I was running and you know, just participated in the, the what, what I think to be the infrastructure around uh, crypto. That led me to start to understand exchanges, start to understand altcoins. I was first introduced to Ethereum then it led me to look at Bitcoin. Then I got red pilled, read the white paper, started to think about the power of scarcity, the power of this decentralized um, system that was being introduced, the, the kind of network effect of peer-to-peer -peer money. And I, I was sold on a use case of Bitcoin just as uh, a store of value a long time ago. I haven't been looking for anything else for bitcoin i don't right. really that's even, a store of value for me um okay. it, it's it's uh it will become a unit of exchange for me it's a store of value i just hold it it's got tremendous uh, deflationary um properties that in just a short time you know i, I did this and tweeted it um recently if you go back to 2010 and you buy an extra large coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, it's gonna cost you $1.63. And in 2010, one Bitcoin was 12 cents. So to buy that coffee, it would cost you 13 Bitcoin, right? Fast forward to today, that same extra large coffee is like $2.60, right? But it would cost you 0 0.000095 Bitcoin. So you have inflation, the cost of goods and services going up, but you have this unbelievable expansion of value in Bitcoin over 10 years, you know, you would have spent 13 Bitcoin or $130,000, right, on your coffee. And today you're paying a fraction of that in Satoshis. So you never, yeah, buy, I mean, you never buy anything with Bitcoin. You know, you may use some Satoshis to do a transaction, yeah. but for me- Never spend a whole Bitcoin. Uh, and if you have a lot of cash, right, I have a a-, a a portfolio, I would say a modern portfolio in terms of its construction. It has real estate. It's got stocks, bonds, currencies, commodities. I just don't like holding cash. 
I'd rather hold Bitcoin. Yeah, and I you know, look, I'm totally with you. We've seen how it's been the best appreciate, appreciating asset, sorry, in the last 10 years. Um, you know, I think it's unbelievable. Um, but is it just a store of value? Because I speak a lot, um, well, the XRP army speak a lot to me, <laughs> sort of tell me, you know, it's, they say, you know, it, it has no use case. It can't be used as a- I don't care about yeah, transaction speeds. I don't, I don't care about transaction speeds. I don't, it, it's simple. The best use case uh, for Bitcoin is to hold it. It is your hedge against okay. inflation. Just hold it. Okay, so, okay, fine. So, so help me understand then why, where does its value come from, right? So like, would you say scarcity is the, is the one and only sort of answer to that? Like, what, why is it going up? Why do you believe that it is that safe haven, that store of value? Well, it has some interesting mechanisms, right? Like I'm one that thinks that the cost of computing and the operational expense of running those computers establishes some of Bitcoin's value. Then you have the having or the scarcity uh, algorithms that are built into it. And like the scarcity thing is absolutely amazing. If you really step back, what asset do you know has provable scarcity like Bitcoin has? Gold? Well, you, I mean, does I'm gold have, my own question. Does, does gold have provable scarcity? Silver have provable scarcity? No. Real estate? Even land? No. Bitcoin to me, like, it's it's an amazing uh, function of its uh, of its algorithm. Okay, cool. So when new all time highs, Jason, October. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I've said that. You know, I, I believe that we'll get to a new all time high by October thirty first, or I have to eat two fillet of fish sandwiches or something like that. I think that's wait, the, that is like not even a penalty whatsoever. Like that's, oh, that's McDonald's, right? McDonald's yeah, is great. That's a terrible penalty for me. I don't even know yeah, what is inside a fillet of fish, but uh, hopefully, yeah, apparently hopefully, it's fish. Yeah, hopefully there's some fish, but no, October, October thirty first of this year. I think I think it's very achievable to have a new all time high, and then from there, I think it's just going to be wild. So, look, there's no. I'm here sharing my experience, whatever. Um, this is do your own research. There is no investment I can offer you that I believe that I feel as compelled to participate in than Bitcoin. I mean, I heard Rao Paul say the same thing recently. Like, um, it is absolutely a, it, the best investment you could participate in right now against everything. Okay, so so explain to me what's going on. Why, where, so, so I did a tweet yesterday um, and I can't remember what it was. It was something like um, Bitcoin, oh, I don't know. It was something like, oh, uh, Bitcoin is to fiat what, I don't know, like, uh, blockbuster, uh, Netflix was the blockbuster or something like that. But and a lot of people were just very angry about that. So why don't people believe in it? People that forget, like forget like non-coiners, people within our community, why are people so anti-Bitcoin? Like what is the problem? And I don't want to hear about, ah, they didn't get in, they didn't make their, they didn't make their money, so they're a little bit salty. No, no, no. Like why are they so angry about it? Because I can tweet something about Bitcoin, something positive, and I will get backlash. So what's the issue? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get that unless you're getting backlash from like Ethereum or or altcoins. I mean, is that yes, where the backlash? Is. Got uh, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's really it. I mean, look, the the people who are Bitcoin maximalists are 
are absolutely trailblazers. They are so focused, like everything else is a scam. There's only Bitcoin. What? Did you see what happened? Did no. you see did you see the drama? You didn't see the drama? No, I don't see it. I don't see it. Okay, it was a hassle drama the other day. I tweeted something like, could you imagine? Like, imagine hating someone because they don't like the same coin as you. Say it out loud, I can't stop laughing. Like, no lie, I was just chilling, laughing so hard. Like, actually, like, imagine if you're like super into Ethereum and I'm like, oh no, now I hate Jason Williams. So Adam back replies something like, imagine liking, I don't know, like Charles Ponzi, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, well, absolutely not. That didn't include criminals. So he then put Charles Ponzi and um, oh, what was the other one? Charles Ponzi, uh, Bernie Madoff in the same sentence as XRP. Uh, he said Ripple instead of XRP um, and Cardano and Ethereum. So he basically just called them like scams um, straight up. And I know Vitalik wasn't happy. Um, Dan, is it Larimar, wasn't happy. None of them were happy. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Like Bitcoin maxis. No, I, I said that to you. I said that to you before. Let, I, I'm saying, like, 99% of all of my crypto investments, like the concentration of my money, is in Bitcoin. It's not even yeah. in venture. It's in Bitcoin. But I have like Bitcoin maximalists, like saying, "I hope you get AIDS." Like that's what someone. Why? Why? Uh, because I. Because what did you I. Do, Jason? I, I know because I interviewed uh, Camilla Russo, and we were talking about DeFi. And I bought some link and was obviously you should be buying link. <laughs> right. Because I bought some link and uh, because I'm so influential, like I have all this reach and power. Like I'm this powerful warlord you from, are. from the Damn. basement. Right. That when I buy link, the whole world just moves and sways. How and dare so, you? How dare you? You should so be I, more responsible, Jason. Right. So I, and it's really people who I actually have never met, but I, I actually like, like Hoddlenot, the little, the cat guy. He's like, dude. <laughs> dude, dude, what? Just, how dare just, you? Like, yeah. Like I have a picture of Ronaldo because I'm just joking. Like it's like, a, uh -huh. you know, I have Ronaldo dancing after I bought 3200 Link and I get dude. And then I get, I hope you have an Im immunodeficiency syndrome. You know, like it's just bad. It's not good. And it, it actually affected me, which nothing ever really bothers me per se. Okay. But I was like, man, like I should be allowed to be intellectually curious on my own Twitter feed and then make a joke or explore things that I think are interesting, like DeFi, like learn about Ethereum, like learn about altcoins, or even explore why is everyone interested in Doge? Like, that's okay. It, it's freedom of thought, right? And I and I think what's hilarious about this community um, is that we, generally speaking, everyone's all about freedom, individuality. Let's get away from the government. Yet when it's within our community, there's a sort of we shun people that do different do things differently. We shun people that have their own independent thought, right? And and I never understood that. And you know, speaking about people, sort of like. Being absolutely a lot of scammers. There are a lot of scammers, yes. though. And I think that the reflexivity of the Bitcoin maximalists to go, everyone's a scammer. They're trying to protect people from like a lot of. I don't think it's as um, uh, altruistic or positive thing, right? But I'm, I'm in my heart, I'm hoping that's the case. Like they're saying, look, Bitcoin is it. All the rest of this is scams. Hex is a scam. Ethereum's a scam. You know, everything is a scam.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's an it, it's an interesting one, but I think within this community, um, you know, we talk a lot about individuality and um, you know, freedom, freedom of thought, independence, and so on. But I often find, you know, when that happens, we're not happy. So, for example, um, I think what got most attention for me was my TikToks that I did quite a few months ago. And um, those didn't go down very well with a lot of people. They sort of which, found that it was which like- Which ones in particular? Um, oh, they were, all, they were all pretty similar. Just like a fun song and being like, Bitcoin this, Bitcoin that, da, 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 da. I don't know, safe haven, decentralized, you know. That didn't fun. go over well? Why, because oh, you're absolutely. associated with uh, other projects? No, no, because I'm female and I looked pretty. Oh, that's, that's why. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely. And and I got a lot of backlash and I got back I got I got horrendous I got horrendous backlash from a lot of um anonymous accounts. I got somebody that says I'm and I'll say this out loud it's kind of rude but whatever. Got somebody that said I bet she rides the tinder cock every Friday night, which is just disgusting. And then I got a lot of backlash from the women um as well, which was quite interesting. And I thought it was such a shame because these are people that preach individuality and freedom and here's me being an individual and it's not okay. Uh, I totally agree. Look, you, you should do you. And um, I, I just can't imagine projecting on you that you need to be in a black turtleneck to to do any any work of any type of, of anything serious. It's just so silly. It's it's no, but beyond it being hot, yes. I just think it's 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 ridiculous. And look, if if your strengths are in your physical attributes and you want to use those to to uh tell a story whatever everyone and and i thought this was an area that you and i would deviate on actually because i'm probably very financially conservative but more socially liberal and you don't strike me as being a very socially liberal person and you we can get into you know, that but i yeah because I, I would think you are more like a traditionalist and i Okay. Okay. Shall I go or? Yeah, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I am somewhere very much in the middle and I think people sort of, I, I find that I uh, actually, I would say I'm socially liberal um, because actually I'm a libertarian. So we have to understand what socially liberal really means and what a libertarian really means. People are free to choose their own sexuality. People are free to do what they want. Yep. I have an issue when we start undermining science. Um, and when we, and I also have an issue when we start allowing men, um, Bio, uh, biological men in women only safe spaces um as a woman i'm uncomfortable with a man in my changing room that's just it i don't want to you know I, I don't think all men are bad i don't think all trans people are bad. I, mean, I don't think anyone really is bad i just um, i i understand there are threats out there but here, in, the, here in north carolina we don't have uh men's and women's bathrooms any longer yeah and and that would make me really uncomfortable um really yeah, if you really go to starbucks there are just unisex bathrooms and I'm uncomfortable with that as a female, somebody who like I'm strong in my heart and in my in my mind. Um, I lift weights, but I'm still not physically as strong physically as a man. So I'm uncomfortable with that. So socially, I am, you know, liberal. You can do what you want, um, but let's not undermine science and let's not sort of like change the fabrics of society and of reality um, because you can go too far. And with, you know, where do we draw the line? Do, do people sort of, you know, when a 50 year old man can identify as a 14 year old little girl? I mean, 
that has dangers. Can a can a uh, a twelve year old boy identify as a thirty year old man so he can go buy alcohol? There are issues. We have to think like issues and long term sort of thing. But I am socially liberal, like each to their own, you know, because I'm a libertarian. Um, but we are coming no, up to an hour. I, no, I go love, on, go on. Yeah. So what? <laughs> I love. So the, yeah, I love the tweet that you made when you said oh. bring masculinity back make and then men masculine again. make masculine yeah make men masculine again and then i ripped you off and said make women feminine again oh yeah let's make us feminine <laughs> what is wrong with that like that's a, like i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i also don't think there's anything wrong with a man being metrosexual a man being gay no, a man being very feminine own. so what but that's not attractive to me maybe you know like not, and, and and you in that case you speak for most men let me tell you men most men want a feminine woman and most women want a masculine man and in my opinion if a woman well, you don't have to tell me that oh yeah so, but, <laughs> but in my opinion if, if a woman says that she doesn't want a masculine man i just think she's lying to herself i'm a strong independent female that can absolutely handle herself but i still want a masculine man i want to switch off he can do it yeah, and and you should have the right to express yourself in any way you want, uh, as long as it doesn't hurt me, right? As long as it doesn't hurt me, yeah. um, and I mean, as long as you don't pinch on anybody else, yeah, like, like stop me from something. You know, I may be offended visually or like auditorially, or with that's even a word, but like otherwise, like get on with it, like give me a break. But I shouldn't be able personally to show up to a woman's soccer game. And like the way I look right now and say, uh, look, I'm trying out for the pro team here in North Carolina. You're going to call me uh, Jessica. No, and then I, I just start, and I just start bashing everyone all over the place. Yeah. And we've seen how there's been actual accidents that have happened just because these, um, because these trans women are physically stronger than the men. And we've seen that accidents have happened. We've seen unfair advantages. Um, and you know what's really hilarious about this whole thing is that you have a lot of feminists who are very much anti the patriarchy pushing for women. But this is like the patriarchy. It's bringing men into women's sports. You're taking away the, like the woman's opportunity to get a gold medal. I mean, it's hilarious. It, it's sort of so counterproductive. And that's what we're seeing in society in general. Everything is sort of taking up, you know, we're trying to do good. But as we move forward, it's sort of taking us back 30, 40, 50 years. Um, but anyway, we are approaching an hour. So Jason, give us your last thoughts. I'm going to put you on full screen. I need to figure out how the hell I do that. So let's just, oh, that's me full screen. Okay. Oh, now I've added you. Oh God, how do I do this? Oh, I, oh, I know, that. I know. Yep, there you go. You're full screen. Give us your last thoughts, Jason. Yeah. So uh, look, we, we've touched a lot of topics here. I think uh, what I would leave you with is you can do anything. You can be anything. I totally believe in like manifesting um, your thoughts and your thoughts are so important. Um, so make them good thoughts, be around great people, people who kind of inspire you, who stretch you, find mentors that, um, that are where you want to be uh, at that stage of your life and outgrow them. And, um, and uh, you can do anything. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you uh, how uh, fortunate uh, I am and uh, to have had the um, the help I've had along the way. I'm not where I want to be. You know, Leia has been very kind and called me a billionaire. I'm not a billionaire, but I'm on my way. But I'm on my way. Uh, and um, in the next three or four years, uh, check the stats for all you haters.
<laughs> for all the haters, go get them, Jason. Jason, I, I, I eat that. So I much. eat it. I eat that hate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to. You have to use it as your motivation. Um, you know, I get a lot of hate online, particularly from women. Um, they absolutely hate me. It's very sad. I think I'm a very nice person. Um, I think I'd probably get on with them quite well anyway. But um, hey ho, just gotta keep going. Jason, you've been amazing. I want to thank you so much. For those that didn't know, I was super nervous to do this. Um, and you've been so lovely. So I want to thank you so much. Thank you to Cake Wallet, our sponsors, and thank you to Icon Plus for powering this. So over and out. Mwah. See ya.